I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it's 1999 the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 bursting through an igloo and onto the ice here <laughs> in 2020 i'm one of your hosts kenny Dybar, and i'm phyllis cove and with us today is bart nickerson uh one of the head writers i'm just gonna say it of dispatches from elsewhere and a writer on narcos and also the creator of the bart principle which uh, he created and is not about him. Which states, which states, as you should know, the average person is average at their job. Um, Bart, thank you for coming back. Uh, thanks so much for having me, and thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to rewatch, like, just a fine, fine, incredible movie. <laughs> rewatch? I had never seen it before. Had you Nor seen it before, I. Kenny? Yeah. No, uh, there's something about this movie, even though I'm a big time uh, sports film aficionado, that never grabbed me and grabbed me by the, you know, the, the hockey sweater and said, watch me. But um, I did now, you know, podcast like <laughs> 1999 did it. And uh, yeah, it's a fine, fine, incredible film. Yep. All right. So next week on Python. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was actually really surprised that this was a 1999 movie. Um, I feel like, I feel like there's just this like big swath of movies that I've seen because they were on like pretty heavy, uh, a a rotation on like TNT or TBS. And this like felt like one of those movies, those sort of like late eighties, like early kind of nineties movies. So just like my, like a memory of this is I saw it, 
not continually, but saw like different uh, uh, segments of it, different times it aired on like a TNT. Yeah, I would. It's funny you say that because and Bart and I talked a little bit before we got on mic, but this film does feel like it's in some sort of a purgatory, like tonally and in terms of just all of it, it doesn't feel like it kind of fits anywhere. Like it is sort of soft. I mean, it is soft, but it's also rated R unnecessarily rated r in my opinion the f word over and over again yeah there's a lot of f words and there's you know there's there's talk of premature ejaculations but but like ultimately it it doesn't need to be rated r which i would argue hurt its box office for sure like if this was pg-13 this movie at least breaks even but it's rated r for no good reason um it's also too long. Like it's it, it it's kind of meandering in a way that, to your point, kind of feels a little bit almost like an late '80s, early '90s throwback. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. I, I'll say this: I was really excited to watch this movie. Um, I as, know you as, were, as yeah. Kenny and 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 <laughs> and Bart can attest. I'm a hockey fan. Uh, I grew up in Toronto. I, I love hockey. They don't make a lot of hockey movies, and I'm beginning to realize why. <laughs> Um, I don't know that it is the most um, cinematic. It's not the most cinematic sport. I would, I, and and this has been said many times by people that I talk to about hockey, which is that it doesn't play well on TV. Going to see a live hockey game is fucking great, but when it's filmed, the the energy of it, something gets lost in that transition. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but it's not a sport that works as well filmed. Bart, are you a hockey guy? I'm not. I I I I wanted to be. I like. I feel like it was probably like the ninety. It was either the eighty eight or like the ninety two. You know, uh, Olympics. It was like, you know, I saw that and was just like, got to get in on this hockey thing. And so you also had like, the Devils. You had the New Jersey Devils. They were fucking huge. Yeah. There, there's think, there's no such thing as a Devils fan. Yeah. Uh, people oh, just actually. Okay. Yeah. Like I mean, like. From like from no, no, I'm not kidding. Yeah, no, like it's just not a thing that people like know about. Oh, okay. And so they're, it's like they are Rangers, a lot of Islander fans, and yeah. uh, Ranger fans, and like then the Devils like a uh, uh, ruin hockey. Like they, yes. like they br- they 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 slowed it down. So they yeah. won by by grinding the gears of the sport. Right, yeah, which, and they won like three cups that way. <laughs> right, yeah, which does kind of make me a, a weirdly proud that they just like. <laughs> Like this, like sport yeah. of sort of like speed and grace and power. They kind of just like it kind of reduced it to this stalemate of like a trip, like war of yeah. attrition. Yeah, um, they literally like their team would never score like more than two goals, and they would right. win games that way. And yeah. they're the best goalie of all time, right? Yes. Yeah, Martin Broder. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Oh yeah. So then I was like, oh, I want to do that, but it was like the nearest rink was like an hour away, and hockey's actually like reasonably expensive to get started in if you're starting from scratch because there's like all this or at least there it was because you have to buy all this equipment and stuff so i was never in america it is i think in 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 canada you're just given skates and sticks and whatever i think you have to yeah you're bequeathed them by the government that is not true as someone who cannot skate um i uh i i just can say that that is that is not an accurate portrayal of Canada. But I will say that the sport of hockey is a big deal. Obviously, mm-hmm. people watch it uh, religiously. I, I will say that, um, and I mentioned this to both of you before we got on here. But I watched Miracle for the first time yesterday, which I had never seen before. The two thousand and four Kurt Russell um, 
uh oh my god what's the director's name the guy anyway um you know he just did the uh the way back as well like he's he he he's oh. a good director of sports yeah, uh, um, yeah gavin o'connor you know what I'm talking. is that his name that's it yeah um yeah gavin o'connor yeah and and watching miracle which i never watched before because um it felt sacrilegious to to root for team usa even in the form of being a viewer of the film um i just had never watched it before uh, and then I watched it and it's a, it's a better movie than this movie. I think, uh, it's, it's considerably, it's very well made. Um, he actually really directs the hockey. Well, I wouldn't say that this is poorly directed on a hockey level, but it's not visceral. Um, it's more like quaint it's, and, and that's the nature of this, of this type of hockey. It's, it's, I mean, I don't want to compare it too much to to okay. Miracle. They're like such different movies, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to fuck up Miracle, right? It's <laughs> yes. Like, and 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 I think it's better than it could be. I think the moment with Kurt Russell and the um alone in the in the tunnel after they win is yes one of the best sports moments there is. Yes. Um. So I think like Miracle is a fine movie. Uh, I'd be remiss to not mention Mighty Ducks, all of which I saw in the theaters twice. I'll see all three of them. Um. I don't necessarily agree that hockey is, hockey makes for bad cinematic fodder. Okay. I think this movie assumes some things about it about the population at large and hockey that aren't true. Like I okay. I I don't think the population at large at least in America understands hockey. And I don't think the population. When you say understands, do you mean the the rules of hockey the and rules, the fandom okay. of the fandom of okay. hockey and certain places' obsession with hockey? The okay. whole thing doesn't read as to me as as quaint or quirky or cute. It we reads as bizarre <laughs> that the three town elders uh, of the three town elders of Mystery Alaska have a meeting every week to determine. Which eight residents of Ala- of Mystery Alaska get to play in a game that the entire town attends? Or I guess it's ten members, right? They play four on four with goalies, so ten members. That the entire well, well, um, I, why is that bizarre? How is that any more bizarre than a, than a than a college football or a small town football team? Because well, the f- college football team is not playing against other people from the same college. For one, so it's not a scrimmage. Well, and I mean, like, where's this is just sport for sport. You're not rooting. Well, and it's also just a thing that we don't have any context for. So it's like if you say this is like a college uh, football team, and we're going to do a movie about a college. Well, that's my point. It's like you know, like a good percentage of the audience is going to understand a ton of context there. And so here you're saying, right? Like, okay, this is about a hockey team which a lot of people probably don't have a ton of context for. But then also, it's not like the hockey teams you know. It's this weird, small town it kind of set up. And so there's just a lot of stuff that they have yeah. to like load yeah, but, the but, audience with. But I don't want this point to be lost. This isn't a hockey team. This is a pickup game. This is, these are 10 people who come together that are mm-hmm. chosen by three elder members of the town to play in a game against each other. The stakes are zero. 
The stakes are simply, can you play in this game or not? Once you're in the game, it's, can you do well? I guess. I mean, can you have fun? Can you, can you, can you rouse the crowd? Ha- college football is, is clear. You're an Alabama I mean, fan. You want to be college, beat Auburn. Okay, you want to be Mississippi. Col- the, the college football analogy I, I, I understand is, is, doesn't work but i i don't know that i necessarily feel it being as strange as you as as you guys did which is this i mean listen that's, might that's be what it is but you're a canadian who grew up with hockey well no i'm i, I was gonna say that the that the small townness of this the the sort of snow globe kind of picket fancy david e kelly cute quirky small town component um is why it didn't seem that odd to me like that that's the buy-in right like he's created this sandbox and he said like here is this group of of kind of quirky sweet natured people um and they play hockey like that to me didn't seem that strange so so agreed so i agree i i understand what you're saying the setup is not the setup is not unbelievable the well, premise happens. is the setup is right. That's what. Well, right. yeah, kind sort of. of. I mean, kind of. Not this, this but this. The, yeah. The, Wait, yeah. The, yeah. We'll get into it in a second. Sure. The setup is not unbelievable. What's then the big jump to me is what is essentially a exhibition game yeah. played amongst friends yes. for the entertainment of people living in this town yes. is turned into something wildly competitive. Yes. Which is yeah. Mystery Alaska, this remote <laughs> town hours outside of Fairbanks yeah. against yeah. a world that they truly and clearly don't give a shit about. Like very clearly don't care about. And I'm forced to believe I'm I'm I, I don't know exactly like where the goals are, where the motivation is, where the drive is, who's driving this story, why this is happening, why these oh, yeah, people 100%. care. And I actually think like this is, and again, this is not like I'm not rewriting the movie. This is what it is. But but the, something that kind of reminds me of this a little bit is in American Samoa. There's a uh, there's a, a big football culture, right? Um, and a lot of Samoans wind up in the NFL. I mean, famous people, Junior Seau, and uh, I think Sean Merriman is Samoan, and. Um, I don't quote me on that, but uh, a lot like Tro Palomalu and a lot of famous Simones wind up in the NFL. And I do think that this seems more like a, a, a ethnic outsider story where people have created their own enclave away from uh, the, 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 the mainstream because they weren't allowed in. Right. And I don't get the yep. sense that these, Alaskans weren't allowed in. I don't get the sense that they ever wanted to go in. Um, so that's that, that, that kind of is where the disconnect is to me. Well, well, I mean, like, and I guess I will also say like, uh, one thing that's it kind of crystallized though, for me is that as you were just uh, laying out it kind of the setup, it does sound interesting. It just didn't like uh, this idea that they have a sort of like self-imposed, outsider status and that like they're not interested in the outside world um that's right they just like like just do their thing for the purity of it like it's not an uninteresting uh setup you know it's like like that is could be cool 
it just didn't seem like it really came together here because I mean, like I, like I, like I think there's a lot of reasons. In part, I do think the the David E. Kelly, you know, sort of like thing, the cutesy small town. It just doesn't seem like it's aged particularly well. well yeah, Sean I mean, Merriman is not Simone. Sorry about that. Um, I, I, I to to sort of. Bart and I talked a little bit about this before before you hopped on, uh, Kenny. But but I ultimately think that um, part of the there's a lot of problems with this movie. I am not I'm not sitting here saying this movie is great by any means. I was excited for this movie because I thought that I knew what this movie was, and then I watched the movie and was like, oh, it's trying to be ten thousand things. What did you and, think the movie was? I mean, I, I truly thought it was like, oh, it's a movie about uh, you know a small town team of a uh, small town hockey team, and they play the big bad fucking New York Rangers or whatever, and it's an underdog story, and you know, and and ultimately on some level it is that, but it's so scattershot with 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 a with an ensemble that's unnecessary, um, and all these different things going on. It's a fucking courtroom drama at some points, and it's a this like it's. It's it's all over the fucking place that you're just like, oh, I was expecting a clean 90 minute movie about a group of guys that played hockey. And, you know, it's it's a ragtag group of guys playing the New York Rangers at the end. And that and I was excited for that. And that movie could have been a good movie. But this movie is and, and you know, I, I think I said, said this to you earlier, Bart, but like David E. Kelly's sort of picket fancy tv brain infected this thing so he felt like he had to like this thing feels like a more like a pilot than it does like it feels like a fucking giant pilot for a tv series than it does a movie like it doesn't really i agree with that conclude itself particularly well um and 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 you've got all these strands of stuff um that that it unfortunately never coalesced like I, I don't want to keep comparing it to Miracle, but the thing about Miracle that works so well is it's laser focused on a fucking thing. Like it's clean. It knows what it is, right? Like it's this team and they want to beat the Russians and then they beat the Russians and and you've got your 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 Kurt Russell character that is clearly your protagonist. I'm not even convinced that Russell Crowe's the protagonist of this movie. I maybe he is. I sort of think he is, but like is he? I don't know. It yeah, I mean like well, and I mean, I don't know if it's best to discuss this from here, but go for it. <laughs> well, I mean, there. I mean, like, I'm not sure that this is a hockey movie. Like it, like, well, <laughs> yeah, or yeah. even just a sports movie because it's like, and uh, you know, because the reason that sports movies I think can work is because like everything becomes about one thing and is told through the lens of that sport. And so you also have the sort of uh, uh, rhythms and, uh, uh, you know, sort of just like the visual uh, uh, dynamicism of a sport. And right. so there's not a ton of hockey played in this until the end. Right. That's and true. we're not telling the story of the hockey team. There are more characters off the ice getting a ton of screen time. Correct. and. I think that's uh, one of the reasons that just structurally the movie feels so odd is it is actually an interesting structural puzzle in that what you, what it seems like they tried to do was to bring a variety of storylines to a sort of um, a, not even a traditional midpoint as much as a sort of stalemate in the story. Like, you know, there was the little 
uh, a marriage section in the middle where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, some hints of infidelity or actual infidelity. And they talk about it. And both of the, you know, like they sort of both state their sides and then kind of just go, eh, well. It's it's interesting that you say that, Bart, because first of all, I totally agree with you that that this movie doesn't feel particularly interested in hockey. It seems interested in, I guess, how hockey makes you feel or hockey as a vehicle for other emotions as opposed to the sport itself. Which is which is interesting because, like, and I didn't know this until I was doing research on this, but like David E. Kelly is the son of an NHL executive and the captain of his hockey team at Princeton. Yeah, yeah, and that like, and that the producers of this film were owners of the Pittsburgh Penguins and previously owned the Hartford Whalers. Like, there were fundamental hockey people involved in this movie, mm-hmm. and yet you kind of wouldn't know it. So I, I want to piggyback on what. Bart was saying. I mean, this is all kind of really interesting to me. And another little thing about the producers: they first, they the, the first hockey film they did was Sudden Death, the John Claude Van Damme <laughs> yeah. movie, which is uh, fucking fantastic. It is. Um, it is great. It's a fan. It's it, it's, it's it might be it might be his best work. Um, Doesn't he fight a mascot? He, he, he does, and then he becomes the mascot. Uh, he, there's a yes. There, there, he's now he is now There is a really there is a really really good. I I watched. I saw three movies today. I saw Sudden Death, Sudden Death, Grumpy or Grumpier Old Men, and Nixon. Jesus, <laughs> what would you? Yeah, wait. Did you say the same day? Same day, yeah. What was? Uh, going, do you remember what was going on in your life? Yeah, kind of. These three lined up. I, I. So, well, first of all, that's me. Second of all, I'm pretty sure that was '95, right? Yeah, I mean, I know Nixon's Nixon '95. Yeah. What yeah. year was uh was Grumpy Old Men? Wait, I think that's '95. All in I, the theater. Because that sounds yeah. like a day just with like a lot of candy around and like yeah, it was all right. and- so it, no 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 it was all the theater it was grumpier <laughs> old men so okay. I don't quite remember I I I, uh, I know that the sudden death was really early and then grumpier old men and we saw them back to back and then for some reason my parents Nixon seen- was the chaser. Yeah, Nixon was the Nixon was the was the <laughs> night film because I left it I left it went back and as a thirteen year old sat through yeah. Nixon for three Whoa. hours after all of that. Uh, I think Nixon's a great fine, movie though. I think they're all fine films. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Mystery Alaska was uh, was four years later. And the point I wanted to uh, make about what you're saying, Bart, is it's not a sports movie. There's a thing that's very weird about this movie. Is you have the all right, so Hank Azaria plays this this former resident of mystery, moved to, you know, yeah. the lower 48, um, is now a journalist of some sort, wrote an article for Sports Illustrated. Sports article, Illustrated. For Sports Illustrated, yeah. That was all right. And is now uh and the article basically says the players in Mystery uh, Mystery Alaska is quite a little town. They have this great little hockey, they have this great little hockey game every week. And these players are basically as good as NHL players. That's it. We are meant to believe that. Yes, and yes, I'll tell yes. you why we're meant to believe that. Because I, at some point, like, all right, so Russell Crowe, the, 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 the conversation the whole time is, well, you know, if we play by NHL rules, we're going to get smoked. But if we play by our rules, which are also legitimate because it's pond hockey, 
we'd smoke them, which is some small town stupid bullshit that I hate. Now, furthermore. Wait, but I mean, wait, uh, that? because <laughs> like, yeah, hold on. I mean, on. okay. I'm, I'm just, I, this is very, this is, this is very extemporaneous. Um, extemporaneous, <laughs> but delicate. So, so furthermore. We play by the Rangers rules. We play by the NHL rules. We play five on five with goalies, with uh, with boards, which you don't play in pond hockey. The team never tries to get better. There is no there. There is no, there is no, no training. Arc. There's no arc of well, we're not that good at this style. Maybe we should try to get better. The arc is like we're playing by their rules, and, and let's just give it our best shot, doing what we do. Yeah, and yeah. in fact, the only sort of training montage there is focuses almost exclusively on the one thing we're told over and over again they're great at, which is skating. Skating. So it's just them doing skating drills where it's like, this is the one thing that you guys are supposed to be great at. You don't need to work on this. Well, there was the scene with the potatoes. Yes, yes. When uh, a Russell Crowe was uh, breaking down five on five, whereas like an offenseman has to drop back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess that was the only time. A, I mean, there's also they also they, they, were, they were teaching the rules. I mean, like they yeah, but it's true. There's also the leadership component strategy. too. The whole coaching fiasco that they go through. That's also that that also I can't imagine is good for a team. But anyway, well, well, well we we're, we're not told the entire movie that Burt Reynolds had anything to do with his team, and then we're told with about thirty minutes left that like the secret maybe. to this. Is Burt Reynolds being coach? Yep. So. Yeah. No. I mean, like, it, like, I actually had like a fun ride through this movie because, yeah, like, I guess my expectations was I thought it was going to be more of like a, a the Rocky thing that it was like, yeah, this seems uh, not very good, but for some like publicity reason, um, they have to kind of like uh, pull it together and give the Rangers like a good game, um, and I guess having only done this podcast uh, uh, once before, there was this period in the beginning where it's just like, oh, I got to really pay attention and like note little things because I might not have anything to talk about, you, you know? Um, and so it was like in the beginning, it was just like the notes were like, you know, oh, it, like it's funny that they thought that this helicopter looked Russian. It's like, oh, like that's just like a weird moment in like a movie. But then as the movie begins to unfold, it's just like, oh, um, I actually don't need to take small notes because the big giant headlines of this movie are so crazy. Um, it's like at some point I was just like, this game needs its own uh, a thematic drinking game. Like every time a new theme is sort of introduced because there is just a million... <laughs> Just things like thrown in there where it's just like about the road less traveled, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, small town versus large town ambition. It's just like and corporate and corporate America as well, like corporate takeovers. Right. It is just a a thematic chaos in this movie (laughs) where it's just a thing is introduced and then two scenes later it's resolved and you never hear from it again. Like it does, it does move like a warp speed television show. Um, Can I also uh, just want to to jump in here real quick because I, I 
I think it's interesting just to talk for a second about David E. Kelly as a feature writer because we did mm-hmm. Lake Placid a few weeks ago, Kenny, and and it does feel like David E. Kelly. I I would argue Lake Placid is a stronger script than this script for sure, because it's it's a little bit sort of like it, it, it you know it's a little cleaner I guess, um, and it's sort of like it's a monster movie and whatever. But, like, I don't really think he does a great job at writing either feature, really. Like, structurally, he likes to be inside a television show where, you know, he, he can kind of ping pong around a bunch of characters uh, and tell a bunch of different themes with a bunch of, and then move on to the next episode. It's, I, I, I obviously thought um, a lot about the fact that David E. Kelly wrote four movies in his life and two of them happened to come out or got four that were produced and two of them happened to come out in 99, which is crazy. The two that came out are mystery last <laughs> and Lake Placid, which is crazy. These movies have nothing to do with each other, except they're both on lakes. Um, <laughs> primarily, <laughs> primarily lake based movies. Right. Yeah. But you got to go but, where the muse leads. You gotta, you gotta go. I, I've, as you know, I think Lake Placid is a, uh, is, is an exceptional movie. I think it's an exceptional movie and it's, it's a good movie. And, I, and I'm trying to think of, of why that worked and this didn't from a psychoanalytical point of view, which is the he, fun part, right? So, and also he, he loved and played hockey. You would think I, he'd be better at this one. That's, that's my concern is, is what I'm getting at. So. And I don't mean that in like a derisive way, but what I say yeah. is like, all right, I every time I write a feature, and this tells you a lot about me because I'm not the greatest writer. Every time I sit down to write a feature, I also sit down with some kind of guide, a new guide. Sure, sure. Every time, um, just to reach because I'm you know normally writing television, but I try to write a feature every year. Retrain my memory or retrain like my 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 mind on how to write a feature. And my goal is always, I'm going to stick to what it says in this book or wherever I'm going because, because this is how you do it. And then, frankly, the good ones, I stick to it. And the bad ones, I deviate um, because it's hard to deviate from normal structure. Like, obviously, sure. the movies we love so much do, but uh, those are written by masters and I am just, you know, a guy. So... It feels to me like David E. Kelly with uh, Lake Placid stuck to the structure. Now, he didn't stick to typical horror structure because he didn't do the whole final girl thing where you're killing, killing, killing. But there is like a a gradual escalation of the fear and tension leading to a massive climax at the end. And when we had Delandra on, she went point by point of the way he stuck to monster movie or creature feature structure. This movie does not stick to sports movie structure in any way. What it feels like to me is David E. Kelly wanted to do a slice of life that he right. does so well in some of his right. shows uh, wrapped around a sports theme that doesn't necessarily fit that well. Now, I, would, yes. I, I may have done it a different way. Like I may, have, I may have focused on the town that happens to have this thing happening around it. And right, make it significantly right. less about can we beat the Rangers? Will this embarrass our town? Will this like show that we are lesser than the lower 48 or whatever? You would you would have written the script that was titled Mystery Alaska, which is about the fucking place as I, opposed to about I the sport. I think that's what I would have tried to do and make it more, you know, and, and it's a much harder, yeah. it's a much harder script to write, but make it more Altman-y. 
and yeah, make yeah, it yeah. more, you yeah, know, yeah. like seed seed these stories from the first act as yep. opposed to seeding them in the middle of the second or even sometimes late in the second or early in the third <laughs> um, where they get resolved very fast, as Bart said, and, and would have, you know, there, there are some movies, sports movies, the, the, the thing with sports movies, um, if it's based on a true story, you could do the thing miracle did, which is had the underdogs win. If it's not, you kind of can't, um, you kind of can't tell that story. Uh, it just seems so unbelievable. So, um, or ridiculous, right? Yeah. So I would have, I think, just focused a lot less on the can the underdogs win instead of middling it like I think they did to the point where it's this amorphous, it's not really a mess. It's just all kind of apropos of nothing. Yeah. And a movie that does something like this that I also don't really like, but more because of content, less because of structure, is it reminds me of a lot of beautiful girls. I thought uh, that too. You thought that too? That it, it, it has that same kind of like early yeah. 90s. And this is why I think Bart might have had that like 80s, 90s, you know, kind of sense memory. This yeah. early 90s, like we're going to show you a place and a time and an outsider who's in this place, maybe lapsed from this, lapsed from this place. And a, some things that happen and, and, and some good, some bad, we'll resolve ourselves as much as we can and we'll get out. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I do think Beautiful Girls works pretty well from a structural storytelling point of view. Yeah, I, well, I mean... Uh, They're also little... all very snowy places too. But sorry, go ahead. Oh. Uh, like... Just like I guess, just like to point it out, like I think the other way to do this movie, the more traditional way, which would be less interesting than the way that you're uh, suggesting, would be to do it through the team, is to give sort of each team member, you know, just like 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 a little story, like a context. Besides, um, you know, the only one that that's really done for is uh, the sex addict skank, um, and like seeing his like just. There's a yeah absurd storyline, but like, um, but I, mean, like, I agree with that completely. Yeah, like but that's. I but, want this structure to work because, like, there is like something about the storytelling uh, rhythm, and I'd be curious to hear you guys respond to this. That I, I don't want this movie to have failed because of the structure as much as because of just like the scenes and what people were saying and doing as sort of not particularly um, artful because I will say by the end of this movie, like I feel like ultimately the climax for me was more emotional and borderline worked because although it wasn't necessarily a great journey because of the amount of story that had been covered, I did feel like I had watched something large scale like the movie felt long actually in a good way because it was just like oh like this has been an adventure because we got to know so many people and the moment where i, I guess it was also just like shot kind of well like although there weren't a lot of bells and whistles the sort of extended quiet of the moment after the final goal is not scored i i, I actually thought it was pretty effective you know, I actually like. I completely agree with you. Like, I I agree with everything you just said. Right? I am mm -hmm. harping on structure for some reason, but another thing, another reason I feels a little like beautiful girlsy to me is because we have these mini stories that you alluded to. The one with Lolita Davidovich and uh, 
called Meanie. The mayor. Yeah. We're called Meanie's the, called Meanie's the mayor, and she's been cheating on him with Skank Ron Eldar. Mm-hmm. And we have the other one with uh, with Russell Crowe and Mary McCormick. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> and Hank Azaria, where Mary McCormick and Hank Azaria used to be, used to be a couple before he moved, and it seems like they're flirting again. And Russell Crowe is is skeptical of what's going on there. Both of these stories don't so much fail because of incompetence; they yep. fail because of familiarity. These are. These are stories we have seen told so many times in the exact same way on shows like 30 something and on shows like picket fences, uh, picket fences and on on, on so many television shows and so many movies of the eighties and nineties that it doesn't feel, it feels like there's no, there's no urgency to go to these, these stories. I, I, I I want to agree and piggyback on it a little bit and just say that, um, I actually both the storylines that you just pointed out, I think, are are work relatively well. But the thing that I was really hit with watching this film, kind of shocked by, was was the direction being as weak as it was. Because I think Jay Roach is a is a is a good director. Like I don't know if he's a great director, but I think he's a good director, and he's shown that he can do stuff like this. Either through his through the HBO stuff that he's done, or even through the Meet the Fockers movies, like he is a competent director who can get solid performances out of people. And this movie was shockingly stilted at times, where lines just landed with thuds, and performances from actors who I know are good actors just didn't resonate. And and two scenes in particular that that speak to what you're talking about, Kenny, which is the scene in the in the. Um, the ice fishing hut with uh, Lolita and uh, and Colm, which actually was a nice scene and actually I thought worked quite well. Um, and then the the big fight between uh, Mary McCormick and, and Russell Crowe, which I don't think works as well because there's just the energy's not there. There's a little bit of feeling, to your point, is very rote, Kenny. It feels like TV drama rather than movie drama, yeah. which is distinctly different. Like, it's just on television, it's allowed to feel not just smaller, but it's allowed to feel like less dynamic in a weird way. Whereas this just felt like it felt a little flat. And that was the thing that hit me, like how flatly directed this movie was surprised. In, in movies, you have one shot. This yes. is your, yes. this is your story in television. <clears throat> it's one part of hopefully yes. like a 200 part story. And it's not that's not an argument to make it worse or less interesting. Yeah. It's just as an as an audience member, your expectation isn't as high. Yep. Well, and you're so much more connected to the characters in a television show because you've just literally spent so much more time. Uh, the investment. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. like like to see uh, like like a couple dissolving on yeah. like a television show, you probably spent hours mm-hmm. in uh, uh the formation of that couple and so you're so deeply connected to it as where in a movie you know you just uh, uh, uh meant them we've probably only had them together on screen for five or six minutes at that point for and sure so, for sure but like the stakes just feel very low what did um, you guys think of uh russell crowe's um makeup mechanism did you guys how he made up with his hair was great 
Oh, his oh, how he made up with her. Oh, wow. I thought Russell, yeah. Russell yeah. Crowe looked fantastic. I thought he yeah. looked great, as, flowing I, I he, hair. He yeah. looked as handsome as I've ever seen him in a movie. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. 100%. It, I thought he gave a pretty good performance. Can I like? I mean, Me he too. was there, and he was like, you know, yeah. he was he like he, he was present and like not. It was not a phoned in performance. Yeah, and I would say I agree with you, Barb. But there, there's. <laughs> It's interesting because I, I was watching this film. We did The Insider um, about a month or so ago. Uh, and apparently uh, Michael Mann went to Canada or talked with it. Either way, they sort of they figured out how they were going to do The Insider while he was shooting this film. Two drastically dissimilar performances in a lot of ways. But there is a quietness to this performance mm-hmm. that is and a nuance to it. Like one of my favorite parts in it is – where she says, you know, players say that coaching is, they often love coaching more yeah. than playing. Yeah. And why would they say that? He's like, because they can't fucking play. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a great line, and he delivers it with the pathos and the sadness that's yeah. necessary for a guy who really is at a crossroads. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. He, I think, I think Russell Yeah, I, I mean, he delivers, I wrote it down because it was just so, it was so great. Um, you know, with a straight face, trying to find, like, the nuance of the character moment, he starts off that eulogy with my boy Mike asked Bailey how he got so fat. And it's like he just, he, and I mean, and he was he, like, he wasn't just like, he didn't just like rip it off. He was just like, no, like yeah. this is, this is, funny. this is a moment for this character. And he gave it its due. Um, no, I don't, I don't, no, no shade on Alaskas. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of talk about people's weight in this movie. Like Rod Eldard's whole whole like uh, storyline is about how he called a woman he was having sex with fat over and over again. Yeah, yeah, that's not yeah. great. It's not great. Well, yeah. whatever. It's. I mean, I. I. But. But I agree with it. <laughs> I. I agree with 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 you, Bart. That like he finds. He finds ways to deliver lines in this film that give it more gravity yeah. and more depth than you would expect. Um, so I, I will agree that like you've you've turned me around on Russell's performance specifically. And I think part of the problem is that it's not really a leading man performance, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like for this movie, it kind of needed something slightly larger than life, if that makes any sense. Like the movie is on his shoulders and yet at the same time, it's a quiet performance, which adds to the sort of weird imbalance. Like, does, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it just yeah, no, feels for sure. like... Yeah, and yeah, like, and like, I think that shows up, it's like a metaphor for the whole movie is that he is kind of the leading man and the first character, but at the right. climactic moment, the goal, it's like he's in this awkward hug yeah. with yeah. a ranger and it's like this other guy that's like, we don't really know that's going to take the final much. shot. Right. And, and, and it's just like, oh, like this is kind of exactly what you're talking about is like, is he the lead or is he the guy that's just over here? Well, and he gets I, the big speech. He gets the big like locker room speech where he rises to the occasion and shows like that Russell Crowe stardom kind of right. Which moment. was a great uh, yeah. moment. Like the most like fully formed arc is really the judge. It, it, like yeah. and and yeah. like just the look he gives where it's like you know just clear that he was trying to set him off. Like it was just like well done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I. Could we go back to the makeup 
a mechanism that you were talking about? Because I would be really curious to hear. Oh, yeah. I, let's, guys... let's, I have one more point to make about this. Okay, sorry. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. No, I do want to go back to it because it reminds me. It's so funny. We just did um, Credible Rock, right? I don't know yeah. the order. I can't remember the order. They're similar. They're, they're very similar movies in that, they are. in that both of these movies lose what's interesting about it for side stories that are totally irrelevant, both of which take the two of which take place in courtrooms um, that don't move the thing forward. And what we lose, what we lose um, or what we sacrifice through that yep. is character development for the people who are going to play a big role in the climax. Yep. So to your point, Bart, the guy who uh, took the final shot, his last name is Banks. I can't remember his first name. As you know, the best player in Mighty Ducks is also Adam Banks. Banks. Um, Banks. As ever, Banks. As everyone knows. <laughs> copycat, copycat. As everyone knows, the best player is Banks. Um, we know nothing about this guy except he shot Michael McKean, which we also yeah. don't really know much about, which also – was a very weird oh moment, God. which like, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot to kind of unpack there that we will. Um, we don't <laughs> even know that much about Steve Wilkes, the 18 year old who has premature ejaculation problems, except that he ejaculates prematurely and we, says it apropos of nothing other than that. It's funny. Well, I guess it was his concussion, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure that's a, a that's, no, I'm not defending it. I'm just, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> Just like Cradle with Rock, if you're doing a typical uh, sports yep. movie, and Bart, you made this point, I'm just reiterating, you focus on the players on the team, you give them all an arc, and that arc is realized within the context of the yeah. game at the end. Yeah. This is one-on-one shit. This is what you would do if you took the sports movie book and said, how do you write a sports movie? Now, yeah. if you don't want to do that because hockey is so fucking important to you, and you're David E. Kelly who grew up playing hockey and your dad's an NHL exec and you want to tell a bigger you know, wider, broader story. That's okay. And I commend him for trying, but I don't think this worked. And I think like, I th I think you kind of lost the, you know, lost the trees for the forest. I actually, it's funny you bring up Crater Will Rock because there are, they're both Disney films. They're both big ensembles. They're both kind of muddy. They both kind of come from a place of the writer's passion. And it just feels a little bit like, they're just unwieldy in their own weird way. Um, you know, I, I let me give the synopsis an hour into this podcast, but let me give the synopsis so that people can uh, uh, know what we're talking about. It's um, Mystery Alaska is a comical tale about the residents of a small, remote Alaskan town and their preoccupation with ice hockey. Excitement comes to town when, as part of a publicity stunt, the professional stars of the New York Rangers come to Alaska to face off against a local amateur team in a televised match. Small town intrigues and petty rivalries must be shelved as it, uh, if the locals are to put up a respectable defense. It was written uh, by David E. Kelly. It was directed by Jay Roach. It opened on October 1st in eighth place against Three Kings and Drive Me Crazy. It would go on to make $8.9 million on a $28 million budget. It's got 37% on Rotten Tomatoes from uh, critics, 66% from audiences. I'm going to read a very brief clip here from Roger Ebert's two and a half out of four star review where he says, Mystery Alaska is a sweet, pleasant, low-key, inoffensive, and unnecessary. It sticks up for underdogs, nice people in small towns, and doesn't like big corporations, adulterers, TV producers, and New Yorkers in general. It contains not only a big game with a thrilling finish, but also a courtroom scene, a funeral scene, an innocent teenage sex scene, a change of heart scene, and a lot of scenery. Uh, no one falls through the ice and almost no one drowns, but you can't hope for everything. I don't require that a sports movie drowned? end with the elk. What? Does someone drown? 
No. It says no. almost, it says, and almost drowns. No oh. one falls through the ice and almost drowns. But oh, we can't hope okay. for everything. I don't require that a sports movie end with the outcome of a big game is decided, but neither do I recommend that it linger while the locals and visitors say goodbye to one another. Tidy up every plot strand and demonstrate that their hearts are in the right place. I do think, however, uh, I do, however, think this same cast in this same town could metamorphose into an entertaining sitcom. It almost feels like they metamorphosize out of one, which speaks to us, sort of speak yeah. the, the pilot of it all. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the cavalcade of things that happen in this movie um, really do feel like they're teeing up longer storylines that just don't come to fruition. Do you think that part of the problem was the love of hockey by the sort of like creative team? Because, I mean, I mean, I don't know how far 28 a million would go on a movie in like a 99, but like, although the hockey is not great, it looks, you know, pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty and decent. that's just such a resource hog production wise, like to get oh, yeah. all of those people up to yeah. speed. It, and uh, it does not leave time to sort of, well, can I just, I'm going to, I just want to say one other thing, which speaks to what you're talking about, which is um, speaking of cost and speaking of, of sort of uh, perhaps vision or what have you, they built the entire town. They built the church. They built the cemetery. Um, it was all built. The amount of money right. Disney spent on this thing was crazy. I mean, it, it's it. They wanted this town, and and all of this speaks to. And I hate to keep hammering this home, but it speaks to a pilot. Like it literally is the type yeah. of thing you do mm. when you're investing in something that's going to in standing sets and that's going to last for a hundred episodes. You don't do this for a, for a movie about a bunch of like. It just it, it it's all of it's very counterintuitive. You used to. You know, that's, that's, yeah. you really yeah. did. Yeah. You used yeah. to 20 yeah. years ago, people would, and you know, one would bother with that, with that now. Um, to the point about, do I think it's because of a, a love of hockey? I think that's what I was alluding to earlier. I, there is a, mm-hmm. there is a blank check equality to this. And For sure. the, the thing I love about the notion of blank checks is that an auteur gets to put forth his or her vision without any oversight. That's not necessarily a good thing. That's the whole point of the blank check podcast. And that's been my, you know, I've I've been pounding this drum for years and years about certain directors who have, who no longer have any oversight and put together these like wildly unwieldy films or these wildly unfocused films or these films that are about something very specific to them that aren't really for audiences um, or at least mass audiences. Um, it feels, it just feels to me like there were a lot of things that the filmmakers, producers, directors, and writers, um, thought were really important to get across when talking about hockey and talking about these people and this world that should have been caught at one of the several editing or notes giving stages, um, I, that's just that's the sense I get. So there is one um, small moment. It doesn't um, lead to a lot of conversation, but I feel like I have to bring up some of the courtroom stuff, um, and specifically, please, 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 <laughs> specifically. Which is, I mean, I guess it's just like I feel like if I was listening to this podcast, this would be the moment that I would have to 
go and watch a mystery Alaska because just after all of this talk to be like, wait, there's a courtroom aspect of this. Like <laughs> two, two courtrooms. It's not small two, either. They're, they're, it's a yeah, significant there, there part. Are, well, there are two different courtrooms. Right. And, and those two different courtrooms are adjudicating totally separate cases. Yeah. Like there are two yeah. court storylines in this. But one of one of them, by the way, and we'll, we'll get into both of them. But the union one actually kind of like made my brain melt a little bit. Right. Well, and yeah, I mean, it was. Just, I mean, just like yeah. But the thing that I just want to talk about because I, that, that one time, drives me nuts. And <laughs> the the moment, like, I think this movie might contain the greatest single choice I've ever seen by an actor. Which okay. is the moment that Bailey is having the heart attack. Correct. Yeah. And <laughs> the little look he gives. The judge. As he realizes he's having a heart attack and sort of like nods to his heart. It's just <laughs> because, because, because he had been saying heart two seconds earlier as part of his big speech. Oh, and then no. it's like, it's like, eh? like it's, it is. <laughs> I I can't I I certainly can't think of a better choice. <laughs> I'm not saying it's the greatest performance. I'm just saying a single moment. Oh. I I really I don't I am really skeptical that anyone has ever flown that close to the sun as as an actor to be so perfectly in tune with the human condition. But at that's a where moment. that's where Maury Chaykin lives, by the way. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's our second Maury Chaykin performance. He was also yeah. an entrapment. He's much better suited to this. Uh, he, he he does a fine job in this film. I want to talk about the other courtroom scene, <laughs> which I thought you were going to talk about that one because that makes one of the single strangest uh, storytelling decisions you'll ever mm-hmm. see in a movie. To set mm-hmm. it up. Michael McKean is a uh, is oh, an executive um, from basically fucking Walmart, yeah. right? Yeah, I'll, I'll find the name of it, but yeah, he's, go ahead. He's coming to Mystery Alaska because, you know, Mystery Alaska now has 300 residents. Maybe they should open a, a, a Walmart. If they open the Walmart, it will, like, you know, this is, I don't have to break this story down. This is, this is the story of America. If they open the Walmart, it'll threaten every other business. The price world? Price world. That's right. Sorry. If you open the Walmart, it'll, Walmart, it'll threaten every other business in America. Correct. The best player on the team is the bagger at the local <laughs> market, who is also strapped, who for no real reason <laughs> decides to threaten Michael McKean's character with a gun and then shoot not at him, but near him. So much so that the bullet ricochets off something and lodges itself into Michael McKean's foot. Mm-hmm. While Michael McKean is injured, shot in the foot, he lets out a stream of expletives about how ho- horrible the town is. One might do that when shot for no reason in a town. <laughs> not, is, un- not unreasonable. I mean, you know, you, you say whatever you want. I mean, the other character gets a uh, the other character <laughs> gets a you know concussion and starts talking about it. Sure ejaculation habits so uh, he so this character whose first name i can't remember but last name is banks is then tried for i guess yeah. shooting a guy in the foot at the trial 
Michael Keane's statement to Russell Crowe, who's the town sheriff. I don't think we've said that yet. Statement uh, that the the town is a bunch of you know backward hick fuckwads, whatever he says, is yeah. is entered into evidence. That coupled with the fact <laughs> that Mr. Banks is the best player on the team that they need for this game against the Rangers is enough for the jury to find him not guilty. And then and decide to oh, <laughs> decide charge him. <laughs> decide to uh, decide to award him forty thousand dollars of punitive damages, which they are not authorized to do because that's not what that court does. Right. It's a criminal trial. What I want to say is, <laughs> Burt Reynolds, a town judge, then goes on to chastise everybody in the court. For yeah. prioritizing a hockey game over not just a man's foot. Justice. The rule of law. That's right. <laughs> right. Right. Which isn't a uninteresting point for the movie to make. Correct. Except that it seems like the movie comes down on there are some things that are more important than the rule of law, justice, and a man's shattered foot. <laughs> <laughs> That's town pride <laughs> and hockey yeah. uh, and the rights of a small town grocery bagger to show his stuff on national TV against the Rangers. Um, that's the end of my argument. I just I want to I want to I also just feel like, you know, the more we talk about this film and quite frankly, the batshit things that happen in it and the amount of them. It just makes me feel like maybe David E. Kelly, who is also concurrently writing 150 episodes of television at the same time, didn't give this film the necessary amount of time to really think all of these storylines through. Do you guys ever cannibalize your own scripts? I.e. take a scene from an old script, put it in a new script, take an idea from an old script, put it in a new script. I think that might have happened here. You think? I, I think he, I think he might have taken a couple of discarded Law and Order scenes. I mean, L.A. Law scenes, yeah. and yeah. and and stuck them into this. Possible. I mean, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 it it feels so. I mean, I just can we just talk for a second here about the Burt Reynolds character? Just Burt Reynolds in general. In love this Burt film. Reynolds. I don't, I don't have anything against Burt Reynolds. Love him. I don't I know love that he's old Burt Reynolds. I love his face. Yeah. Is he I good in this? Beard. He's great in this. He's okay. great in this. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like, I mean, not, I mean, not, okay. I guess I'm not, I guess I'd have to review to see if he does it like a textbook good job as an actor. No, I mean, he's perfect in this and it's just really height, like late Burt Reynolds powers, like, you know, sort of just uh, like he's, I think one of the few people that like really made like a, the transition from the coolest guy ever to a punchline, but like made that work for him. But and also, he's like, just, he's yeah. just perfect here. He did a thing. I love Burt Reynolds for what you're saying. He was the coolest guy ever in the seventies. He, uh, he became punchline in part because he lost all his money and yep. had to be on evening shade. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't really have an option here. He had to go make money and that was kind of an embarrassing thing. But when he reemerged in Boogie Nights uh, with the right. with 
with that performance. He's great in it, but he also hates that movie. <laughs> well, whatever. When he reemerged, uh, yeah. got nominated for an Oscar, probably should have won that Oscar. Um, he, he, it, it, the, the middle section of his career where he wasn't cool, where he was a joke, where he's playing some, you know, you know, uh, Colonel Sanders character at striptease went away. It was gone yeah. for me. It's true. And he just became super fucking cool again. He became the coolest yep. fucking grandpa. And here's my feeling about him in this movie, Bart. Not only is he good, he's too good for this movie. He actually is. He he blows everybody else off the screen. He's so fucking good. He so he looks so powerful. He sucks in the energy of everything he's in. Yeah. He's other. I mean, like, I think he. I think Colmini is the anti Burt Reynolds, and that like there's something about him that like. He repels all the energy. Like I just, yeah. I want to be, I want to be so far away from Cole Meany when he was on, when he's on screen. Particularly, I've never seen him play like a like a sympathetic character in my life. But um, Burt Reynolds is like, there's just my God. I, I just think want that to sit I, at its foot and learn. I guess let me let me rephrase what what I because I think that part of the problem, and I I'm agreeing with you, but I also think that part of it is that he stands out so much in this movie. I, I think that's right that it it actually creates an imbalance right yeah. to your point so you know when he like the first time you see him like when he's when they're watching the game and he's seeing his daughter kissing the guy and it cuts to him and you're like fuck like like there's a legitimate fucking movie star here like there's a person who outshines and is bigger than everybody so much so that you that you're just like it, it it just it creates a lot of weird uh, just a weird energy. I, I can't really explain it outside of the fact that like I like his storyline for the most part. It's such a good but point, to your, though. But it, it just your point it creates right. these situations where like that dinner scene where you're just like Bert's like just fucking playing with live ammo and everyone else is shooting with blanks. Like he like um the guy who plays his son, Bertie, like they are not when their scenes are together. I feel for Scott Grimes because it's like you're not in the same weight class, man. Like you can't play against Burt Reynolds. That isn't it, like, but is that? But those scenes aren't uh, better if uh, Burt Reynolds is not in them, right? Like, not necessarily. I, I, but I understand I, this thing you're saying intellectually is that like his sort of like star power sort of like creates like helps you to notice the disparity between it and uh, uh, the other people he's in scenes with. And that can make it seem a little, uh, a well, yeah, but it also feels like Bert doesn't need to be directed, mm-hmm. right? Like Bert saying a line, even at, even Bert at 60 or 70% is saying a line 150% better yeah, than, yeah, yeah. than his counterpart in the scene. So it makes Scott Grimes who needs to be directed mm-hmm. and can't, get to that place then the half the scene feels stilted the other half feels something um, here's here's what i i kind of think is going on for burke reynolds entire career yeah. since we we become aware of him mm. casting burke reynolds was a choice right mm, Ca- sure. you're not filling a role you are putting burke reynolds in a role right casting yeah. colmini is getting an actor casting casting more chicken's getting an actor casting Mar- yeah, yeah. hank azaria yeah. even russell crowe Almost at this point in his career, almost everybody in this movie is filling a role as best as they can. But there's something about casting Burt Reynolds where you've made a choice that there's going to be somebody in every scene that he's in 
who would who is going to fundamentally alter the way that scene comes across. I don't think the movie recognized what it was doing in that sense. I think that might be what I'm getting at. What 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 Phil's getting at, what I'm getting at. I think that there that that the, the scenes with Burt Reynolds, with the exception of when he's the judge. Um, because he does, he, he is supposed to command that respect and he is supposed to command that room. Yeah. But for the most part, he's just treated as another player in this world. When if I were in that world, I would be like, all right, we have this guy. This guy is everything. This guy is the guy you go to, to for answers. This guy is the guy you go to when Hank Azaria comes. This guy is the guy you have to negotiate with the Rangers. Like this guy is the guy you're going to like step one because he's Burt Reynolds and he is who you want representing any situation you're in. <laughs> so that's, I think that's kind of right. kind of what I'm getting at. Like, uh, I mean, it's obviously a very different movie, but, but Paul Thomas Anderson very consciously knew what he was doing sure. with Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Almost every other character in that movie is cast with a person who just is probably the best actor to play that role. But, but TJ, Frank TJ Mackey, like is a particular comment on a particular type of person. And he knew that every, that, 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 that Tom Cruise had to be utilized and weaponized in that sort of way for that character to work. That wasn't necessarily the case with this. But I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think Bert is weaponized in this. No, he's filling a role. That's what I'm saying. Right. He's filling right, a role. Right. right. But well, and, but and I guess I'm just trying to understand is do you feel like this was just another missed opportunity or do you think that the way he was used is actually a, a negative? Uh, I, do you understand the uh, distinction I'm trying to make? It's a good question. Yeah, no, I hear you. I don't I mean I think in the end it is additive. Like in the mm-hmm. end, I think it makes the movie better, mm-hmm. but I think it also speaks to the bigger symptom we've been talking about in terms of its its sort of instability and mm-hmm. and this kind of like that's how I feel too kitchen sinkiness of it where you're just like well that worked and that worked but like it's creating all these weird moments. Um, I certainly wouldn't like. I think what you're what you're asking to a certain degree, Bart, is. Uh, would I have preferred them cast a quote unquote lesser actor mm-hmm. to create more of a flat line? I mean, this movie is all flat lines, so I'm not going to say yes to that. You know, um, right. it's, it's just, there's, it, it there's, it's, I, I got to say, the more we talk about this movie, the more fascinating I find this movie, even in its, in its failure to a certain degree, I do have to say that there's a lot going on in it that I can't, really wrap my head around there's well, also just like an an inherent laziness to it as well it's just it, it, it it's just it's i i i don't i i do think it's a better movie it's hard to say right like it's hard to say you know to to, to discuss the counter because yeah i think i think burt reynolds scenes are the best and i think he is the best most interesting performance in the movie i also think it speaks to something that uh I also think it speaks to something that that you said a general laziness. I, it's almost like a neglect. Like, yes, when that's a better word for it. When um, movies cast movie stars in roles that aren't your protagonist, and they don't think about how that movie star persona plays into this, whether you're using yeah. it or whether you're you know going against type, 
uh, it always does stick out and feel wrong and weird. Um, and I think that's the, the, again, it's not really a value judgment thing. It's, it's a, it's a round, it's, it's a square peg round hole thing. And I think that yeah. might be what I'm feeling. Cause in the end of the day, like I do, I think he's, I think kicked ass, but I also think like the movie couldn't, wasn't really built for that kind of performance. Well, it, it feels like a missed opportunity. Like that's this movie as a whole just feels like a, a missed opportunity. So go ahead. Oh, what were you going to say? Oh yeah. Well, no, I, I, I was going to say that. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, uh, this movie feels to me like a lot of missed opportunities. Uh, there's a lot of movies in here. Like it almost feels like you took, and I guess this is maybe like what happened, but it was like, you took a really, really great screenwriter just before you shot each scene said, okay, like you have an hour to like raise the stakes in this scene. And then like, that's what they shot because there were like, there were so many things in this that were sort of clearly to address a sort of concern about a particular scene without like maybe like tracking through all the story uh, uh, ramifications or uh, uh, making sure that the groundwork had been laid to that scene. Like I'm thinking again, specifically of one of the times the Rangers were going to pull out, right? It's like the news is being delivered to like the town father. And he's like, you know, but we've spent all this money and like, we're all sort of like a, a leveraged into this thing. And it's just like, we have not been telling the story about the resources of this town being committed to this thing. And it's like, it just seems like an idea that is introduced because in this scene, in this moment, we need more tension. Like, like it's the point yeah. where there should be higher stakes. And it kind of I felt like that was happening throughout with character stuff where it was just like, wait, what are they upset about? Like, have we even been talking about this? Like, uh, why is he doing this? Like, there was just a lot of that throughout the entire uh, movie. So it's just like a lot of, like a lack of cohesion. But I do just want to say, Again, it really shows the power of an ending because I thought the ending worked. I thought, although they didn't stick the landing, the landing was like stuck adjacent and it left me thinking, all right, I enjoyed that movie. Yeah, I mean, I think that my biggest thing ultimately would have just been to cut about 15 minutes out of it. Like, Mm -hmm. I really think that the pacing ultimately hurt it maybe more than anything. I just found myself just being like, I don't need this. Um, I think the thing that, and, and we need to discuss this because I'm not entirely sure I understood it to begin with, but the whole storyline with the, which you alluded to, which is the Rangers pull out. So the union, the players organization sues the NHL. Is that I what happens? I think it's the opposite. I think it's, okay. I think it's okay. the, they, they, they utilize their union to say uh-huh. that the collective bargaining agreement does not allow for this. When right. I think it's stated very clearly early on that it does allow for this, uh-huh. um, that does allow for the NHL to to schedule exhibition games at their whim. Um, I think the Rangers challenge that in court, or the union challenges it in court. Okay, okay. Um, but the whole thing makes no sense. Like, frankly, the, the the boys of Mystery Alaska or the or the people of Mystery Alaska should have no say in this in a courtroom. <laughs> and, it, and any 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 appeal. To sen- sentimentality, I mean, I, I I'm not saying that has no, no place in a courtroom, but it, but yeah, a third I, party's appeal to sentimentality 
in this courtroom does not really have any. Well, I mean, Kenny, yeah. I wish no, you were the lawyer. I wish you had said well, like I wish no, someone had said those words in the courtroom. I, well, I mean, I think that there's a story to be told, like a sort of like a behind the music story of uh, the legal consultant for this movie, because there was some sort of like body swap or like deep cover operation where it's like. This person clearly knew nothing about the law. It's David E. Kelly, like, man. But was being forced to pose as a legal consultant. And was just like, oh, well, there's this uh, precedent about a guy having a big heart and, uh, you know, them overturning like a murder conviction. So like, you, can just, you, can probably, you can probably use that. Like, what law school did you go to? Uh, these stories were not designed to, these stories were not designed to, to, with hand, to, to withstand any kind of stress test. Right. <laughs> that, and that's, that's, that's the thing. I think you can get away with that in TV a little easier. Um, but no, they, they sure. just, they, they were not, they do not, they cannot. Um, it is not, but like, that's, is- <laughs> that's the fat on this movie that I think could have been trimmed that could have just streamlined it a bit. Because for me, I agree with you, Bart, like this is, this is an innocuous movie. I certainly didn't hate it. Like it there's a lot of stuff to really movie. like in it. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in it. It's just, if it got streamlined a little bit, my mind would wander when I'm off on some fucking, in some courtroom about some that I clearly didn't really understand what was going on. And you're just like, but what the fuck does this have to do with anything? Like, just get me back to the story (laughs) with the fucking hockey player. It is like a strange ad to sort of like, all of a sudden, like want to like explore off camera, the collective bargaining ramifications of, and you know, they're going to fucking play the game. Like, you know, the Rangers are going to show up. But that again, though, is just like, they clearly came to points and were like, Oh, like something has to happen. Okay. Just have the players pull out. And it's like, and and so it's like, okay, like your point, but like I said, you know, they're going to play the game. Like that's that. I don't think that's particularly fair. You know, that's, that's, Mm -hmm. that's storytelling, right? That's, that's, you know that's a second act complication. Yes, you you know that you know yeah. John Wick is not going to die, but it does right. matter yeah. what happens over the yeah. course of the movie to him. Mm-hmm. What bothers right. me about this is I haven't been convinced that this game mm-hmm. is important to the town. This game was foisted upon them, <laughs> right? This game wasn't even their idea. Yeah, like. It was the NHL and Hank Azaria's idea for money. Like, I never got the sense that that anybody other than Maury Chaikin really cared about showing the world what they had. Like, even the fact, like, and I, I want to say one thing real fast. I agree with you, Bart. Like, the end, it did kind of come together, and I was feeling, and I gave it a much better grade than I expected because of that. But this, very simply, like, the the fact that these guys were being showcased on national television and they were written about in sports illustrated as on par with nhl players in a lot of ways and it led to two of them getting minor league hockey contracts that should have been a big driver of this movie you could have had banks and wilkes the two guys who wound up getting contracts and a third guy yeah. Who, who could have said this is our chance to get out of here if it was a yep, place yep, to get yep. out of to mm-hmm. make a lot of money to bring back you know glory to this community to do anything but it never seemed like the opportunity really mattered to the town on a financial level on an emotional level on a on, and, and any anything that it could really 
sink my teeth into. So that third act complication, specifically the Rangers are pulling out and this game might not happen. Has no stakes to it. Yeah, Not really. I mean, I, it has yeah. stakes because I know that this movie has to end with a game. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like, it doesn't really, it doesn't really affect it that way. What seems like, uh, it seems like the stakes should have been local. Like, like, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. like, the, yeah, like okay. it's, it's not Go cold ahead, enough. The pond fucking isn't freezing over. Yeah. Now what well, do we and, do? Yeah. And I mean, it, I mean, it is a shame because again, it's like, you know, every time you sort of uh, summarize the like uh, a macro sort of like plot and themes of the movie, like it sounds so interesting. Like just the yeah. idea that it's like the small town, they do it different. And it's like, do they even want to leave? Is that even a good, like the idea of this, like sort of for the love of the game, they play this more like beautiful, graceful style, you know, how does that stack up against the sort of like highly, uh, uh, a regimented, violent, you know, but like hugely successful other style. Like that's, that is a great place to start for a sports movie. And because it's not about sports, it's about everything, right? Right. It's a huge it's like a huge question of like values and ambition for ambition's sake. Like, are these good ideas? And it just actually doesn't do that. This is going to sound crazy, but almost more than any movie we've done. Yep. This could have been amazing. Like, yes, it could. have. <laughs> this like, is my point. I was excited for this movie. <laughs> it really could. have. It could have been an amazing movie. You just hit it on the, on the head, Bart. And actually like, I mean, I know no one has any love for Mystery Alaska, but like there's a world where Disney Plus makes this a television show. For sure. And it really fucking flies. Now they're doing Mighty Ducks like they they wouldn't do it. But you put it on Hulu and you make it R and they're I actually had a there. I had a pitch with one of the Sleepy Hollow writers we were trying to put together a Mystery Alaska thing. Yeah, I it's uh it's it's it, cuz truthfully it is it's it's like I mean, again, not to beat a dead horse, but this is this is a lot more setup than it is payoff, um, and it does create a world that that I find quite endearing in in a, in a northern exposure kind of way. Those first shots of the town, those first shots, honestly, those chopper shots of him skating on that on that open ice and and seeing the town that they built they did a beautiful job like it feels lived in it feels inviting you want to root for these people you want to love these people and unfortunately the movie just never fully gets there because it thinks it's already there like it almost feels as though it's a foregone conclusion there's a lot of that kind of vibe to it and it just it's not there and i'm I'm not saying it has to do this but it doesn't even answer the question it doesn't even acknowledge the question which is is the NHL the goal? Is the NHL something they yep. want? Is the NHL, you know, the bad guy or the good guy? Um, and if if I understood their relationship with, again, the lower 48, and, uh, and the NHL and kind of mainstream hockey, and not just, you know, excuse me, Canada as well, um, and uh, mainstream hockey, then I think I might get this movie a little better. Even if it was, like you said, we don't need anything to do with it. Stay out of our town. And we're going to continue to play our te- our five on five. And it's as important and as valid to us. Because then, it, then mm-hmm. if there was just one person, like it's such a simple story. If there was one person who had a real big fucking need, an incredible talent, and was like, mm-hmm. 
You guys have to play this game for Steve. Like, yeah. forget yeah. you guys. Like, Steve could be yeah. the next Wayne Gretzky, and he's stuck in this town in your backward ways. Yeah. And if he has – this is his one opportunity to actually get on a major stage and impress people. Like, that well, I would, seems clear yeah. to me. That seems easy I to would, me. I, I, there, there's two things that I want to say about that because I think uh, they're both – I absolutely agree with you. The first is the Charlie character, the, the Hank Azaria character. If we had, if there had been some motivation towards why he wanted to put this on the map, if we got the sense that he was trying to sort of help this town that he came from, you know what I mean? Something or, – or even the opposite. You know what I mean? He hates the town. Right. That he, whatever the fuck it is. But like uh, there's a he feels here, kind dude. of wobbly too, right? Where you're just like what's what's happening on that front? And then on the other side, I just wanted to, on the Charlie front, there's that scene, the town hall scene, right, where they're trying to figure out whether or not they actually want to do this game or not and whether or not it's a good idea for the town. That scene should have felt like fucking Stars Hollow or Picket Fences to me. I should have felt everybody in that town is a character and a person that I'm invested in. But instead, it felt kind of lackluster. I didn't even really feel them all rally around the idea. Like these are kind of one-on-one, one-on-one things that you need for the small townness to work. And when that's not working, that really hurts the movie. I think actually, what's uh, uh, like, like, I think that's all right. But I think the thing that's extra uh, frustrating is that the movie like agrees with you. It just doesn't because like, because like it actually says why Hank Azaria is that his name? Yeah. Um, you know, he has the scene where he's drunk on the Zamboni and, and like he explains his uh, motivation, but you're right to miss it because it's like, that's not how you do this. Like, that's not how you unpack a sort of like complex sort of like internal story where it's like, he's like, I, I didn't leave here. I was like uh, rejected. He wanted to go out and become kind of successful to return to this town, to get the respect, to kind of say, fuck you to them. I can't uh, wait. I, I can't wait till we pitch this show though, because like, but, and, and, and yeah. And that's I'm all good. Kidding. Like, like this yeah. is there, there. Yeah. Like it's, it's just it's, too fast. You can't I do it like in like half looking, a scene. I know. And I feel like we're, we're, and this is exactly what I was getting at in terms of the 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 note giving process breaking down, the editing process breaking down, people being allowed to just put forth essentially first draft ideas without much oversight because we've only been talking about this for an hour and a half, and yeah. I see the movie like it's yeah. if Hank Azaria, to your point, Bart, had a grander plan, and if the grander plan was my half brother Steve is incredible, but he's being held back by these very well-meaning people who are stuck in their ways and won't let him leave. And he has no concept that he's not allowed to leave yet. He, he is, he is, he is in Plato's fucking cave, right? He thinks, (laughs) he thinks this is the whole world. He thinks starring in the Saturday game is equivalent or not even equivalent, either better than being Wayne Gretzky or doesn't even understand what Wayne Gretzky is. But Hank Azaria has traveled to the real world and says, you can be Wayne Gretzky and I'm going to figure out a way to do it. And if that was a third act reveal, yeah. if he turns at the end and says, I agree with this yeah, all for you, yeah. like at the end of the day. And, and then, you know, the whole like I did it for you. But but then as viewers, we see 
but it also helped this guy and her yep. and him and the town as a whole and everything's better because of it. Well, that would have been awesome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and like what could be so exciting about this uh, a reboot is that you can create <laughs> all these tensions and you can actually have everyone be right because like, I think the counterpoint to your uh, uh, Wayne Gretzky character is the sort of like eccentric genius hockey player who, you know, has been in this town forever, will be in this town forever. And like, because this is the way he likes to play. Like he thinks that this is right. He thinks this is like spiritually fulfilling. And at first he's going to refuse to be in the game with the Rangers because he's like, this is not what we do. Like uh, we don't prove ourselves. We're about the purity of this thing. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to get him to, you know, actually be a part of the game out of his of loyalty to his friends. And then the Rangers are going to be like, here's this giant contract, you and uh, a Wayne Gretzky guy. And our eccentric genius is going to go, no, like that's not what it's about for me. Yeah, You know, and then like the end of the movie is we have like a, a Wayne Gretzky getting announced in the starting lineup. And we have our other guys just a Saturday and he's just out playing exactly where he's always wanted to be. And it's like, everybody gets to be right. Small towns are right. Generation and all that stuff. And this, this is. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah. So um, I just want to talk about things that actually happened uh, in the movie we watched. What I want to talk about real quick is the Marla and Stevie storyline, which is um, I thought was pretty genuine, even if I didn't think that either of the actors were all that great. I thought that the 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 scenes were nice with them. Again, this is a storyline that could have been completely pulled from the movie um, in terms of just in an effort to streamline, in an effort to clean things up. But. I did think that the scene where Marla tries to have sex with him and the whole premature ejaculation thing was was a nice scene. I, I thought that it was genuine. I thought that, I thought that they played it well. I thought that it gave them a a sort of a, a genuine believability to their relationship that I was surprised at. Um, but then at the end, when he when she's like, "But we didn't even get to have sex," he's like, "Don't worry, I'll be back in a couple months." I was like, "He will not be a virgin when he comes back from wherever the fuck he's going." <laughs> yeah. But but I did think that like it was it was sweet in a way that I was kind of surprised at to a certain degree. I don't know how you guys felt about it. I think, um, I, yeah, I mean, like I didn't. Um, I guess it. Like it feels like it comes pretty soon after that introduction yeah. of the character Skank 
in the men's uh, locker room a ton yeah. of story. And so I, I think that I think that I was like tensed up. Like, so it's like as another scene, you know, just like a sex scene, I was just like, oh, like what's going to happen here? Like, I think that I like lost a little bit of faith in the movie to like handle this stuff in like a delicate, interesting way. Oh, and so yeah. Yeah. like, although the scene wasn't uh, bad, I don't think I enjoyed it because I was just like, okay, like what's going to happen here? That's gonna I, I mean, me I, yeah, I mean, to my, I just want to say that, like I said, as we were sort of coming up to this thing, I, I don't necessarily know that we needed this storyline. Like, right. I think to Kenny's point earlier, this real estate would have been better served building Stevie as the, 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 the professional goals that Stevie has, the desire to get out of town if that's what he wants, the desire to be a professional hockey player if that's what he wants, that time would have been better suited, better used in that way than with this, especially since I don't think any of the premature ejaculation stuff that, that comes after this is worthy of anything. Like that all should have been literally thrown away. All those jokes make no sense. All that sort of post concussion nonsense is just sort of like jokes for jokes sake, bad, bad, honestly, bad TV jokes. Like they don't even feel like they're just, we, we talk a lot about uh, movies that wouldn't get made these days. Correct. And Correct. you know, in, in some respects, this falls into that. I could see a movie uh, about this topic getting made. Yeah. But, the, but there's 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 certain old fashioned ideas in this movie that and I don't mean old fashioned obviously like the fifties I mean old fashioned like the nineties um, mm-hmm. that just wouldn't happen anymore. You wouldn't devote real estate to one of your main characters to a story that's essentially about uh, if and when he's going to have sex in his life now that he's good at hockey. Um, in this way, right? You. There, there are ways right. to tell that story. Yeah. Um, you know, Friday Night Lights did it with Saracen in really like an incredible, beautiful way yeah. that yeah. felt important. You know, it felt mm-hmm. like an important life set for that character and kind of an important line in the conversation or the dialogue people have about high schoolers having sex. Uh, but this is just a joke. And yep. in 99, I think that was okay. Like in 99, I think in a movie like this, ostensibly a serious movie with some comedic elements, you would devote probably four or five scenes, four or five beats to this kind of story. But you would yeah. never waste your time with this shit these days. You know? I mean, it's and, – and I'm not I'm not necessarily writing for really kind of anything that happens in the storyline. Yeah. I'm I'm really more than anything just saying that I that I thought I appreciated the kind of smallness of it to Kenny's point mm-hmm. and the fact that it wouldn't exist today. I appreciated right. that it did in this movie even if it's not executed particularly well. I would also say too, you know, as much as I'm harping on stuff that or we are harping on stuff that doesn't work, some stuff that does there are some really beautiful lines in this movie that I really appreciated. One mm-hmm. of my favorites was the line that Donna says to uh, uh, to John when they're having their fight and he's saying, you know, you're smiling at Hank Azaria in a way that you don't smile at me, whatever. And she says, everyone in this town peeks over the snowbank and wonders. Yeah. Is a great line. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me is sort of, 
I, I one of the things, and this kind of comes into the into the storyline that we were talking about with Marla and, and and Stevie. But like one of the things that I think this movie does well is doesn't make the sort of obvious binary small town arguments that so many movies tend to do, which is the whole like small town life versus big city life. Um, I like that this movie doesn't try to make that argument necessarily. Um, but I would also say to talk it about size of my mouth, but what I will also say is that it creates that muddiness that exists in this movie, which is that it's kind of all over the place and it doesn't crystallize what it's trying to say about small town life. Like what is it trying to say about small town life? Uh, I really couldn't tell you, but yeah, well, and uh, again, it like, it is a sort of like a compression factor because like, I agree that that's a good yeah. line and that's a good sort of like conversation or question about small time life or about life and about choices like to explore. Right. It's, it's, it's just deployed so quickly for that to be the third line in your argument with your, you know, husband is just like, well, I guess that's been in the chamber for like a really long time, <laughs> which is its own, yeah. is like its own question, yeah. you know? And so it's like, yeah, like it's like, like uh, this is like a really skilled outliner because, you know, even just going back to the reporter storyline, like it's like the thoughts were there. It's just done so quickly that it's more like a bullet points where it's like, yeah, like, and so it's, it's, it's big. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. One other thing about this movie. And again, every movie doesn't have to be everything. This movie tries to be almost everything. So, you know, it's certainly not (laughs) lacking in thematic ambition. However, (laughs) it takes place in Atlanta. And one of the things that I have been told about it, I'm sorry, Alaska. One of the things I've been told about Alaska over and over again, is how disproportionately male Alaska is. There was the show Men in Trees, and the joke is there are so many men, there are men in trees men here. Trees. There was a season of, or there was a show called, I think, like Bachelorette in Alaska or something like that, where women just went to Alaska because there's so many men. Um, well, Northern Exposure had like three female characters. The, there, it, there is something that they could have done about the disproportionate ratio in Alaska. And I don't even think they, they, I don't even think it was cognizant that both of our major female characters were looking somewhere else. And I, I think that it's a little different than everywhere else where the ratio is basically 50, 50. I think the ratio is like five to one in Alaska. And at that point, like, you know, I do think for heterosexual women in Alaska, it must be, I'm not saying better, worse, just different, yeah. a different situation that mm-hmm. there is something that you could discuss uh, in this movie that you can't discuss in others that wasn't well, to, to that point, we have to talk about skank because I, I am sort of unclear. For, first of all, like, I Ron Eldert is fine. I I I don't He's an this, ER this, guy, like, right? He is an ER guy. He oh. was yeah, he was uh yeah. He there was in go. a season of ER. He was oh, great on ER. Back when I watched. Um, back yeah, yeah, season two. So I, I think <laughs> that the show uh sorry, I think that he is a good actor. I don't love him, but he's fine. Um I think this character is half baked at best. Um I get that he's sort of more of a punchline than he is anything else, but um, it seems as though his character's arc 
ends with a speech that he gives to the mayor that is deeply odd um, where he, so basically Skank is, is having an affair. Skank works. uh, He's a teacher at the school. Um, And Lolita David, David, Davidovich, Davidovich, yeah. Davidovich is also a teacher there. She's married to the mayor. They're having an affair. And then in a really clunky moment, about halfway through the film, they, the mayor finds Skank's necklace and says, Skank has been in this bed. And then they have their it scene. It says which Skank on it, right? Sorry? It says Skank on it, right? <laughs> anyway. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, long story short, end of the movie or before the big game, Skank knocks on the mayor's door to basically give him a speech about how much he respects the mayor and the town and the sport of hockey and that he's doing this for the mayor. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, he, I mean, like, yes, it, it's not a good scene, but again, this is the thing where it's like, it is trying to touch in a too fast way right. something that would be interesting, which is, you know, to me, the big part of that speech is when he's talking about he never really thinks about anything. Right. And after hockey, he's just going to become a drunk like his dad. And right. so it's like, this is, you know, again, like a sort of like, like a quintessential but interesting small town archetype of a character. I'm going sure. nowhere, but I'm in the sort of height of my like perceived power. And, you know, I have no future. I'm just kind of living for today. Yeah. And to like sort of like bring that character in a kind of relation to a sort of like pillar of the community type is like interesting. It's just done. I don't, I don't even want to say weird. I, and like, I don't want to, it has no subtext. Right. The character is literally, literally saying how he feels. Right. Right. And it's just a crazy way, like to just go up to the guy and be like, you know, (laughs) I'm sorry, but like, you know, it's like, (laughs) I'm going to try to win this game. Like, does that make it like, like, what are you doing? Like, are you drunk now? Like, like, (laughs) not, uh, not, I don't mean this drastically though. It will sound that way. That is the hallmark of middle brow entertainment. The middle brow entertainment mm. is no subjects. Sure. That's it. Sure. That's right. the, that is right. what made. And I love a lot of middle brow stuff. Stuff I would call middle brow, like uh, like Shawshank Redemption. But um, but that is what this is. This is this is not making you work very hard. Right. So well, no, that's true. And uh, this is probably off topic for the purposes here. But like I th- I I think we could also reassess the importance of subtext and scene work as we, you know, as just humans become like more interested in articulating our kind of a specific experiences. Like, like that's a really like, interesting point. Like, yeah. like, like on the regular, you know, I am in on the nose conversations, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, yeah. me and the people I know are constantly trying to articulate exactly what's happening like in our backstory and connecting these moments and so like i I guess it's just a footnote like i think you are correct here that's not a defense of the scene it's just like Um, like i think that to to your to your point bart i think that like theme is subtext right like what Mm -hmm. your what what the themes of whatever this thing is i would argue and i agree with you that characters don't necessarily need to be subtextually talking about things while talking about things but yeah Mm -hmm. sorry Uh, i would say it's going to sound contrarian. Your on the known on the nose conversations have subtext. 
that they Oh, for sure. So that, there's it's a great point. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. But I think you're right. In like cuz we sacrifice uh being intriguing and compelling sometimes mm-hmm. for the sake of being subtle and nuanced and what you wind up with is a boring scene yeah. that isn't engaging enough for people to even start to say what is the scene actually about so yeah. to mm-hmm. your point i think it's a really good move to go directly at the problem in a scene yeah. and also to say the reason that they're doing it this way and the reason that this is baked in here and you want to talk about your backstory because of this moment like every decision you make particularly connecting backstory uh is informed by something you're trying to get across subtextually so mm-hmm. you know but i would yeah, I, I, I agree i agree with yeah, everything right. both of you are saying and i do think and i appreciate the idea of in general, I love a writer, director, actor, whatever, going right at the So problem, do I. Right? Rather than the fucking, you know, all that shit. Totally. But in theory, that's a better... Like, this is just not executed well is what I'm getting at. Like, I don't think that this scene in particular that we're talking about with Skank going straight at it, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with, with what he's saying, more so of maybe how it's being executed. You know, there's just something about the scene that doesn't totally I would work. Say, I would say that if you want to be very generous towards a scene... Because I'm not saying it's there, but I'll be generous. It's interesting that Skank decided at this moment to be as empathetic as he could possibly be. Yeah. To almost almost put on a pair of glasses and say, you can't hit a man with glasses, right? Be at mm-hmm. that moment. That says a lot to me about that character potentially. Um, again, it, you know. I, d- we, I don't we, disagree we with we, that. We, 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 could have used, that. we could have used a moment with Skank's dad or a moment with Skank's mom or a moment that hinted at what he's nervous about becoming without him just saying it. But as yeah. a, you know, tertiary character, it, it, it does, it didn't fall flat to me. It felt kind of sad in a, in, in, in a not horrible way. Um, and I would also say to your point about even when uh, like subtext is being made text, they're still being subtext. It's like, you know, this scene, if you just have the mayor kind of reject him, you like uh, a sort of get all of that where it's like in like trying to not become that guy in such a selfish way. You are that guy. Yeah. Um, but I would I would I agree with with everything that, you guys are that's, saying. That's too but much that, for this movie. But you're right. Like I would. Yeah. That, that, that no, I couldn't step, agree with you more. A step too far for this movie to go. This just right. Because this movie, yeah. this movie ends Skank's arc with him taking a puck into the balls. <laughs> Well, and then the reporter, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There it's you not go. This movie. I mean, <laughs> which, which feels like a nice metaphor for for this film in general. But like, I mean, I, I agree. Like, I think that the weird part of all of this is like, I. I'm a big David E. Kelly fan. I really loved a lot of his television shows. I think he's a superb writer. I think that when he is 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 clicking, there's really kind of no one like him. Um, and he can do all the things we're talking about. We've seen him do it in his television shows, which is why this is such a, again, another missed opportunity and just a, a, a whiff in a weird way. Is this, I mean, like, I don't know... I haven't had time to really uh, think out this case, but is this the smartest not good movie 
ever? <laughs> like, because, I mean, just the raw... Yes, it because, is. Because, it's I mean, there, there are so it's many good ideas. And, like, clearly, uh, David E. Kelly is, like, you know, a, like, like a good writer and mm-hmm. saw where the moves were, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, like uh, from a story standpoint and from like a thematic standpoint, because yeah, like every, almost every story point or scene that we're uh, deconstructing and criticizing, it's like the, like the ideas were there for him. They just weren't pulled through or set up. So it's like he saw the moves. They shot it. Right. Just they yeah, shot. Just they just they just yeah. Like like the day I don't I don't know. I mean I'm 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 obviously extrapolating, but it just feels like another writer would have taken another year on this, right? And really really focused in on what every scene was about. David E. Kelly doesn't have to do that because David E. Kelly's first drafts are probably like my 50th drafts, right? He probably probably shits out producible material, which he kind of did here. (laughs) But I do think that like, to your point, Bart, there's there's so much here that could have been fine-tuned and sharpened and sculpted. It would have been a really kind of potentially incredible movie that would have been timeless it's funny because, like, I, as you know, I loved Lake Placid, and Lake Placid, part of it is it, the, it, Lake Placid is so much more David E. Kelly to me than this. Lake Placid, like, has his sure. quirk and has his structure yeah, and yeah. has his characters and has, has, you know, like a very simple romance at the center of it that's not too complicated by, by anything else. Whereas this feels like, he sat down to write a novel, but he wrote the novel in yeah. the same time he would write yeah. anything else. And there are some really interesting half-baked ideas here. Can I also say that, um, just, to, just to highlight the direction for a second here, because in my brain I was like, there are two directors that come to mind that would have, I think, directed this film better in the two modes that I think it exists in. I think there's a, I think there's a Tom McCarthy version of this where it's the small town character who Tom McCarthy can do comedy quite well, but like would understand how to kind of let everything just settle, allow these people to feel lived in, um, which is something that Jay Roach at this point in his career clearly wasn't comfortable in doing. And then I think there's the Gavin O'Connor version of this where it's, you hand it to someone who's going to fucking nail the hockey, who's going to nail that energy, who's going to bring that kind of, you know, blue collar kind of what have you into it that he did in Miracle. It's just Jay Roach is kind of neither fish nor fowl when it comes to this particular film. It just doesn't feel like, I'm not saying the script doesn't have problems. I think it does have problems. But I think that half of this film's problem is the execution of said script. And I do feel like Jay Roach is just not totally jiving with the material. This is this is the the first and only Jay Roach movie I've ever seen that is too that that that's problem is that it's too dense. And I don't mean that as an insult. Like he yeah. is really, really good at presenting a movie in a way that's digestible. True. And he's done it with so many different genres now. Like he is a really, really talented filmmaker, yeah. a yeah. really talented commercial filmmaker. And there's just something about this that he just he he didn't find he's, that thing he can grasp. 
Yeah, he's very he's got a very Chris Columbus kind of vibe to him, and I don't say that in a shitty way. I think that Chris mm-hmm. Columbus is another filmmaker who, you know, very successful, knows how to make a film that's going to hit with an audience. And I think to your point, Kenny, the script is trying to do so much. The script is too dense um, that it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, there's a part of me that's like, I'm just so surprised by how flat this movie felt for me, considering all of the talent that's in this movie. Is there any way, I mean, I don't even know if this is possible or if uh, you guys could do it, is to contextualize um, how much, I don't know if power is the right word that a David E. Kelly would have. Like, what would his influence yeah. be? Because it's uh, a 99, he's obviously a huge deal in television, but television to features is a very different thing. Um, well, a lot of articles talked about with Lake Placid anyway, because there's not a mm. ton of material on Mystery Alaska, quite frankly. But with with Lake Placid, um, it was David Minear or Steve Minear who directed Lake Placid, who was a TV director. Um, so so Lake Placid feels a lot more like a David E. Kelly vehicle that's directed by a guy who's directed episodes of his show before. And I think to Kenny's point earlier, I think that's why this, why Lake Placid feels a little bit more of a piece than this does. But. I know, I know from someone who worked on Lake Placid that David E. Kelly was not particularly present. Oh, um, interesting. So gotcha. I, and this came after the podcast, but my under, my understanding is he wasn't particularly present. My guess is, my guess is two guesses. One is that he was more present here, and two is that David E. Kelly's power in the industry at that moment was probably such that he had the ability to kind of direct this. That, not direct the movie, direct the sh- kind of direct the production. It's just a guess, but it's, yeah. um, you know, he was I, so important yeah. in Hollywood at that point. And this, again, sort of, you know, to kind of come full circle, but <laughs> this is something that should have been important to him. And I imagine was important to him. Hockey mm-hmm. was a big deal to him. It was a big part of his life. Um, which he's, you know he's, makes he's, makes this. So he's also the only um, named producer. That's hmm. interesting. So that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's it's just it's one of those things where my, my feeling is that this was a I, I can only assume a passion project of sorts. You know, Jay Roach is coming off of uh, um, the first Austin Powers. He has Austin Powers 2, which also came out in 99. So he's got those two films in 99. Um, Jay Roach is sort of this up-and-coming filmmaker, or already there, I guess, depending on what genre you're talking about. I don't know. I, I, I There's a part of me that feels like this movie um, was a big deal. You know what I mean? And it, we're also talking about Disney at an interesting time. And, and in next week's episode, we'll be talking about another Disney film, which... Disney is really kind of dealing with a very sort of they don't really know what the live action space is for them at this particular moment. Um, You're seeing a lot of, you know, uh, Inspector Gadget. Uh, Next week, we're going to be doing My Favorite Martian. You're seeing them take a bunch of IP and trying to make them live action and hoping and spending a lot of money on these things and not particularly doing well with them. So they're kind of in this weird neither here nor there, which is, again, why this film being rated R is so baffling to me on a Disney property. Like, that's another thing that would never happen today. Like, Disney wouldn't put their name on, on something that 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 is mm. this much sex and swearing in it. So it's just, I, I think there's just a lot of 
things kind of weighing this movie down in weird ways. I'll just uh, say one other thing. Explain. It's pretty bullshitty. Please, it's pretty bullshitty, but uh, I hate the title of this movie for this movie. Um, really? You don't I, think it's a mystery? I think it. <laughs> I think it promises. I, I think it promises something. And I know this is so stupid, but like I can't help myself. Like I think it is trying to pull some of that Twin Peaksy shit mm, into yep. a movie that doesn't that doesn't call for any of it. Yeah. So like this movie, but that's picket fences, right? Well, kind of. I mean, Rome, right? I mean, like there, Rome is not mystery. Do you know what I mean? Like Rome, like yes, 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 yes. like. There, there, you, yeah, yeah, there are yeah. plenty of names you can give a town, a fictional mm-hmm. town that evokes something. But, yeah. but mm-hmm. why call the town mystery is a mystery yes. to me, and then why call the <laughs> film mystery is a mystery yeah. to me. Uh, yeah. And I yeah. think it promises something that the film wasn't even trying to deliver. I think it's loaded. Like it reminds me of the show uh, Erie, Indiana. Do you guys remember that? Yes, yes, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And yeah spelled, it was great. Spelled like the E E Erie, uh, yeah. and, like the lake. There is precedence for for a, yeah. a a funny name of a town being emblematic of what that mm-hmm. that what that movie or show is thematically about. And I think that this is. I don't know. It's not a. There's big nothing deal. mysterious about this it's movie. It's not a big deal, but it's just kind of stupid. Like if you're gonna take, if yeah. you're gonna, if you're gonna use your title to evoke something, evoke something that the movie's actually about. I, I don't disagree with you. So should we rate this movie, Kenny? Yeah. Can I just ask one fast question, just because I need Please. to know? I don't have any. Um, which is just even if it's just like a good or bad, the way that uh, a Russell Crowe. Uh, wins back his wife. Well, not. Uh, oh, oh yeah, 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 of course. It's just, yeah. it's just like I just, yeah, good, yeah, yeah, just good. Like a yay or nay, good. good. Okay, I vote good. Wait, he wins her, but how does how do we feel he wins her back exactly? Well, not a uh, wins her back, but he 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 crosses out all the words from like a deer. Oh, the, oh yes, yes. No, advice. I do. I like that. I like that. Good. Okay. <laughs> Should have been so bad. Yeah. Played so yeah. well by Mary McCormick. Yes, 100%. good. Yeah, she okay. she's the one that saves it. What what would have been a treacly, oh. shitty thing? She makes feel real. Good for everybody for taking that. Does but how do you feel about swing? a part? I don't know. I thought I was going insane <laughs> when it was happening because it was like, you know, it was like yes, because there was just like all the stuff was crossed out, and then I thought the message would be coherent. Yeah, I know. Um, but then, like, because like you know, it's like. Like at some point, I didn't write down all the words, but at some point I started jotting them down because it was like maximum body, body, body. It's okay Stamina. though. It's okay though. Yeah, and it's I, just like, I, what, I, think what the, I think the reason I loved it, and actually, like now maximum. I think I love it. Maximum. <laughs> it was Maximus. I think the reason I loved it was because, like, it is actually something that guy could do in the way it was done like if it was cohesive that would have been like how long did you take on this one buddy but like i <laughs> i think it was sweet like i i think it was sweet and I, I really appreciated the way she played that like she also thought it was sweet because my wife would be like that's it we're divorced now <laughs> but, body maximum yeah <laughs> stamina yeah like yeah it's it's yeah i think it might be insane 
but I don't know. <laughs> like, and, 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 and like, I agree the performance. Yeah. It was just very confusing. Cause I was just like, what is happening? And then I was like, wait, is this good? And, and that's why like, I kept trying to come back to it because I just really wanted. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry we kept going away thought. from it. It's the best part. No, of I, I, I do think that it's, just, it's here's what's weird is that, and forgive me because the movie's kind of a blur, but they have their fight, right? Mm-hmm. Then they have their, their makeup scene where she sees the stuff crossed out, which is sort of like the Zodiac killer, but we'll just put that aside. <laughs> and then he goes outside to skate and then they kind of wrestle and kiss and it's kind of cute and whatever. So he wins her over, I'm assuming with the crosswordy kind of thing. But I'm not sure what my takeaway is supposed to be really from the the skating scene. Like it's the they're I back. Don't know. I'm they're not back. They're back. They're good. Yeah. That, okay, let's rate. Well, this but thing. also it. I mean, it seemed like he went out to skate by himself, and then she came. I think that's like right. it didn't seem like they went to skate because he was like yeah. skating around the goal. So it was like in his head he was like, "I did the thing. We're good. Now I've got to go." I think get my he, mind right skating, I, and she came out. I and he think was like, his, okay. I think his thing was, I did the thing, and it's a little humiliating that I did the thing, and I kind of got to go and skate. Like, <laughs> is it that <laughs> right? Is it that right, right. like? Is it that it's like manly? It it's like, oh, the other guy's good with words. I'm not good with words. Here's my attempt to be good at words. And it's like a lot of effort, but maybe not great. Oh. But it's cute because he tried and he spent a lot of time. Isn't it cute because and then he tried like, and he spent a lot of time? It's sweet. right. I mean, <laughs> it feels that way. And right. And then he's way. like, this is what I'm good at. So it's yeah. like, I tried to do the thing I wasn't good at. Yeah. It's weird. Okay. It's weird. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Don't apologize. I, I'm glad you brought it back because I'm, I, I, this is. <laughs> Let's this get, movie is a random assortment. Well, we'll rate it, but this movie is such a know. random assortment of things mm-hmm. um, that there's stuff in it that I completely like forgot about. Like when they make the guy naked skate around and slide into the fucking. Oh snowbanks. yeah, that was anyway, that was bad, yeah. and they made that guy do it because he because he was a snitch. Yeah, so you know, right. it just gets stitches. A- anti Me right. Too movement right there. Like it's yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm i excited yeah. to rate it. Very excited. But then right. also, uh, a loyalty is never a question again. Like, like just to Correct. speak to like how Correct. much, it, yes. like it's just a scatter shot. It's just yeah. like, that's it. That story's yeah. over now. We yeah. trust each other. It'll never be questioned again. Yeah. So, Bart, when I, you haven't been on for a movie, but we do ratings on this, uh, on this podcast where we rate the film from zero to 99, zero being the lowest, 99 being the highest, 50% being the threshold of, uh, of recommend or not recommend. Um, you saw the film in 99, correct? Or around 99? Or had you seen yes. it before? Okay. Uh, yes, I had seen it before. So we, we try to rank it three times. Kenny mm-hmm. and I did not see it in 99. So you can rank it in 99, what you thought of it before the podcast and what you thought of it after the podcast if the podcast changed your thoughts on the film. You can chew on that for a second while okay. we do ours and you can think about that. So Kenny, I'll go first. Um, as I mentioned, hadn't seen this in 99. I was perhaps unreasonably excited to see this film, which I don't think did this film any favors. Um, so I came into this podcast giving it a 60. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would recommend this film to a certain degree. Uh, I think 
I'm I, honestly, when it comes to like what works and what doesn't work, I think I'm at like a 60 40 in terms of working to not working. So that's kind of where I'm coming at it from a 60 after this podcast. I actually like it more than I did. So I'm at a 67 now. You like it quite a um, bit. I, I feel I feel pretty good about it now. Um, you would recommend this? <laughs> yes, yes, I would recommend. This. I, I would say, can would, I? You would overwhelmingly recommend it. Like, I would recommend this film to for a couple reasons. And Bart, you might be the single most, the biggest reason why I've come around on it as much as I have. You really made me like Russell Crowe's performance, and you and Kenny both got me on board much more with the Burt Reynolds performance. So those two things. In my opinion, that plus like the kind of, you know, quirky, cute, small town, it all takes place in the snow and I love hockey. That's what gets me to 67. So here's what's weird. I thought this whole movie podcast podcast that it was kind of like Bart liked it the most and then I was kind of like in the middle and you liked it the least. That's clearly not what it was. I. (laughs) I, I I gave it a 39 before the podcast. And I oh, said, wow. it feels like a replacement level movie. Anyone can do it. Many have, and most are better. It is not an abomination or anything, but I've got to have standards. Wow. However. Apparently, I don't have any. No, 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 no. However, okay. I was going in the same direction as you. We spent almost two hours talking about all the ways this movie missed the mark and all the things that it did wrong and all the things that, you know, we didn't like about it. And all I feel now is so much more affection for this movie than I felt before (laughs) this, like strong affection for this movie. All of a sudden, like I, now I realize all the things it did, right. You know, we didn't talk about that a lot, but all the things it did, right. Like even like planting a lot of these ideas, I have more affection for the characters than I realized I did. I think the world was really well built out. I think that there's a, I think that I think that it's so hard to paint the canvas, you know, the simple stuff, the setting, the, the time, the tone, all that stuff and make it a make it a sandbox you actually want to play in. And I think that's my big takeaway is that I actually want to play in the sandbox. I'm going a lot higher. I'm going from I'm going from non-recommend to recommend. I'm going to give it a 56. Wow. Okay. So yeah, uh, I think I'm going to give this the lowest score, um, which is funny. Um, but so I thought I had, you liked it the most. I didn't think you loved it, but I thought you liked it the most. I had seen it in a uh, 99. Yeah. My uh, memory of having seen it was that like, Oh, it was good. I would have probably given it maybe like a, a 60. Right. But before this rewatch, I would have, before the rewatch, I would have given it like an 85 oh, because wow. I, I mean, I went into this, I, I, <laughs> I had created this sort of a mystery Alaska narrative in my head because what I kind of remembered That's really the mystery. most uh, yeah, uh, was the scene that you talked about where um, his wife is like, you know, uh, like all coaches say they enjoy uh, coaching better and he's like well because they have to and i just kind of remember that scene i was just like this like there's something here and i was like this is going to be the sort of unexpected sleeper hit of the 99 podcast like we are going to stumble into this gem of a movie where it's like in uh, like you know because like what felt like 
well, this must be the last podcast because they've done them all. If they've gotten to Mystery Alaska, nope. will turn out to be, um, and then it really didn't hold up, obviously. <laughs> and so then, I guess after I watched it, it's hard because you know one is I think that everyone should get to watch movies before they go on a podcast because it is a really fun way to watch a movie, especially if you're watching it with uh, somebody else. And I was watching it with Ashley. And so like, just like getting to talk about it with that, even still coming out of it, probably more like a 35. (laughs) And then post talking about it now, though, my affection for it has also grown. (laughs) But I can't, it's two hours hours. like i'm just imagining someone sitting through this movie being like bart said i should watch this like what so it's like i want to give it like a 49.99 with the little thing over the nine so that you know it like keeps repeating that line it keeps repeating until infinity at some some point you gotta round up (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 there's no round up. Don't don't see don't this round in, up. unless the only way that you could, the only way that I would uh, I'll recommend is really if you are interested in like structure and because like I do think again the end works and I don't think it just works because the end is well executed. I think that this movie structure somehow lends itself to a, a momentum feeling, even if it's not earned and that is worth studying. So if you, so as like a, like, like your own self-guided uh, masterclass, I would say this could be like a 65, like don't watch interesting, this interesting. before you watch uh, citizen Kane, you know, but like if you've right. done all that and you're looking for like a different thing, there is, like I might actually uh, rewatch this movie just to sort of like try to figure out some of the. Yeah. I mean, listen, I I've said this on previous episodes and I'll, I'll say it again. Um, my metric of recommendation kind of depends on the film a little bit. There are mm-hmm. films that I would just outwardly go up to anyone in the world and say, you have to watch this movie. Now, if someone came to me and said, Hey, I'm thinking about watching mystery Alaska. I'd be like, listen, Russell Crowe and Burt Reynolds are really great in it. It's two hours. It doesn't all work. But if you, you know, I wouldn't say don't watch it. That's kind of where I'm coming from in terms of my recommendation of this film. This is what I would say, because I don't I, I don't think anyone's ever coming up to me and saying, should I watch Mystery Alaska? What might happen in my life is someone says, <laughs> I'm thinking about watching a movie tonight. Uh, and I've watched all the hockey movies, except, you know, do you have any other ideas? Except, except Mystery Alaska. You guys are going to get it. And I would be like, uh, I'll be like, all right, well, Mr. Alaska, you know, it might be for you. You might like it. And I want to make one other point. That was a really bad point. I would strike that off of the record. I think there's something to the idea that your memory of the movie, Bart, and I don't know exactly what you're saying, but the 85 thing kind of sticks with me. That in your head, it was a better movie than it was. Does that make sense? Like, there is value in the lasting <laughs> memories being positive ones. And that's actually what I'm taking from this movie, which I did not expect. Like this movie yeah. has left a positive impression on me. Uh, and I really am happy that we watched it and particularly that we talked about it. Can I ask a very quick question, Bart? Please. What did Ashley think of mystery Alaska? Um, she did not <laughs> think it was good. 
Um, I would guess that she would put it at the 35. She did have um, an incredible observation that I do just uh, want to share. Please. It made me really happy that we get to watch movies together sometimes where at the end, I think it's the last shot. She just sort of casually was like, there's no way that you'd be able to bury a body in the middle of winter in Alaska. Oh, that's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) And so that, so then that led to a discussion of, yeah, like, do you think they're just stacking them up until like the first thaw? Like how, like, like how are you handling bodies? But uh, I don't think she thought it was a good movie. That is, that is, uh, that's incredible. That is the best way to end this, uh, to end this episode next week. We are doing, as I mentioned earlier, we're doing uh, My Favorite Martian with uh, Morgan Dameron is coming on. She's a writer, filmmaker, and friend of mine. Uh, she loved this movie as a kid, watched it, she said, innumerable times with her family. Uh, hasn't watched it in probably 15 or 20 years, and I look forward to hearing what she thinks about it now. I have a question about My Favorite Martian. Please. Is there a movie that we've done that you yeah. have had lower expectations for? Yes. Really? Simon says. Simon says is the lowest I've ever gone into a film. Yeah, really. that's fair. That's fair. But this uh, but to, to to your point, this is certainly of the studio movies that we are doing. Like from a this is Disney's reboot of a classic 50s sitcom that I know nothing about. That like I don't even know nobody understand the premise. Nobody talks about. Nobody talks about it this. It doesn't movie exist. In in yeah. in 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 even bad terms, like there, all I know is that Christopher Lloyd is in it, and I've seen the, uh, the trailer, and it looks very very oh, bad. I, I've never seen the trailer. I just know the poster. The teaser poster was just like the little Martian helmet. Um, this was also we we talked about this a little bit. I don't know when it was, Kenny. It was on another episode, I'm sure. But we talked about it, and, and I'm th- curious about your thoughts on this too, Bart. That moment when like all of the TV shows that our parents grew up on. That we were then sort of, or maybe I'm just reiterating something from the blank check. We've we recently talked about this too, but yeah. But this idea of those sort of like old shows that then got replayed a bunch that we then saw as kids and then got turned into movies, but none of them are really successful. We talked about it because of Mod Squad, I think, because that was mm. we, we talked about it then. But like this in this year, we have Mod Squad, we have Inspector Gadget, we have uh, my favorite Martian, like. Then in, in other years, obviously, you have your, your Starsky and Hutches and what have you. It was a very weird thing that didn't bear much fruit, and yet a lot of them got made. Until 21 Jump Street. And then, right. It's like, leave it to, to Lord and Miller to take Lego as well and turn that into, like, like they're that, just That's they're why they're geniuses. geniuses. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you ever seen my favorite Martian, Bart? I'm assuming not. No, no. Um, <laughs> Show or movie? No, I don't even think I knew it was a show, but now I'm like, that sounds, I mean, that's crazy that that was a show. It was a show for, for, de- for I think like 10 seasons. We did, missed, uh, did I know that it was a show? We missed Wild know. Wild, Wild West. That's how a long show that was for. rebooted as well. Yes, no, for sure. But that was a big I, hit, right? Wild, uh, Wild, Wild, uh, Wild Wild West. Was that not a big hit? I didn't no. make two of them. No. Oh, what am I thinking of? Uh, uh, probably Independence Day. So my favorite Martian. <laughs> that's, that's, that's always a safe bet. Yeah, that's my, why I gave this in, ran for, uh, in '85 before I, I watched yeah, it was because I was just replaying Independence, Day, Independence yeah. Day in my head. Here's what's um, amazing about my favorite Martian, which did run for a hundred episodes. Um, 
it only ran for three seasons, which meant that one season wow. had 32 oh, no. episodes and one season had 38 episodes. Wow. So, oh, man. 38 episodes. Try to wrap your head around making 38 episodes of a television show. Uh, Bart, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so much great. fun. Had a blast. We can't wait to have you back. Can we find something else for you to come on? Maybe something you yeah. haven't seen that we because we'd love to have you. I w- yeah, I would love to. You Maybe tell even me the movie. Have, I will watch anything. Fantastic. Maybe even have you and Ashley on together for a movie yeah. or something yeah. like that. Or a separate one. I would love that. Um so thank you so so much. And uh please rate, review, subscribe. Thank you to uh Ernie and Emilio for uh producing the podcast. And will um, today and Will today, my apologies, Will, of course. Uh, thank you to Jan Katas for our theme song and our artwork. Um, yeah, please rate, review, subscribe. Thanks. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.